folding pocket. The Fast and the Curious is part of the Acast Creators Network. You enjoy it now. Hello and welcome back to The Fast and the Curious with me, Bessie Glover. Me, known Formula One fan, Christian Hugill. <laughs> Notorious. <laughs> Formula One fan, still at large, Christian Hugill. <laughs> and me, team principal, Greg James. It's very nice to be back on. I love being on this podcast, but equally, I love listening to it as a fan. Oh. And thank you for covering the last couple of episodes. As you mentioned very kindly, Bella's not been very well. She is on the mend. That's my wife, for those who don't know. And um, I've been listening and obviously complying and <laughs> working in the background. But I absolutely adored the last episode with Oscar Piastri. If anyone listening hasn't heard that, then go back and listen. It was, we just, we got Oscar just after he'd been confirmed by McLaren to stick around until at least 2026. And and one of the first places, maybe the first place, Christian, he wanted to come and talk about it, was on the Fast and the Curious. And I felt a huge swell of pride that you two were casually talking to a man who is undoubtedly going to become a Formula One superstar. So go back and have a listen to that episode. And why don't we... Why don't we start with, Christian, some McLaren news. It's getting better and better each time. Thank you. And you mentioned when you mentioned that Oscar was chatting casually. You know he's a regular on a podcast when he's asking me to sing the jingle. Mm. I mean, that's a sign it's almost gone too far, isn't it? Yeah, hu- humouring you in that great Australian way, yeah. which <laughs> it actually is ambiguous whether it's a piss take or he wanted to hear it. Which I, either way yes. is, is great for me. It's fine. So, yes, mm. McLaren news. Two McLaren drivers on the podium. First ever podium for Oscar Piastri in Formula One. Or as I've called him, Oscar Piast 3. <laughs> <laughs> that is awful. <laughs> God's sake. Good God. Um, I can't remember... In the time I've been watching Formula One, many a long year, a more dramatic change of fortunes than McLaren. They were comfortably the slowest car in Bahrain. Like, it, it was dreadful. <laughs> Almost an unheard of level to go from the slowest car to what is now, on merit, it seems, the second quickest car in the grid. If we were going back to sort of Miami, Baku, bless you, or that era of the season, you'd be like, no way they're going to be the second quickest car. And then just what a driver lineup. You know, another second for Lando. He'll fight for world titles. He just shows it all the time. And Oscar's third place was brilliant. Uh, on what, by the way, here's the most impressive thing about Oscar from the weekend. He gets his first F1 podium which is massive in anyone's career. And he's, you know, not too hard himself and goes, I'm going to enjoy it. It's brilliant. I remember it for a long time to come. But by the way, guys, that wasn't my best race. Mm. That's the sign of a champion. He's not ever looking for excuses. He's never looking to blame the car. He never looks to blame other drivers, whinge on the radio like certain drivers in this paddock do. He just goes, yeah, actually, I could have done a better job. He's so quietly confident as well, isn't he? He just knows how good he is, I think, deep down. Did you see what his mum tweeted? <laughs> no. She tweeted a picture of his old trophies. <laughs> like, these are trophies from, like, obviously years and years ago, like junior, national, light, fourth place. Like, all these old school trophies that you can imagine, like, kids keep from, you know, their early days. And she was like... 
does this mean that I can finally get rid of some of these? <laughs> Nicole, yes. Get them off your mantelpiece. No, 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 don't get rid of them. It's the journey. It's the journey. It's important to see where you've come from, where you've got to. Yeah, that's quite nice. Have you got any old sporting trophies from when you were a kid, Betty? Yeah, I've got loads, but actually my boyfriend. What have you got? No, come on, what have you actually got? Uh, I've got? just got like netball, like third place in the tournament, like... Player of the Year 2008. Um, <laughs> no, but my... <laughs> <laughs> she did She did a little hair flick then, as if how proud she was of her. 2008, hair flick, yeah, guys. Yeah, and look, you wouldn't want someone to take that away from you. No, that's true. But he, he she can, like, move them all to the side and put the big one in the middle. Do you know what I mean? So if, if we were to win a, uh, a British podcast award, for example... Uh, would you tell your parents to get rid of your player of the season 2008 trophy to make way for what I imagine will be quite a meagre looking trophy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be a bit of an odd woman. Um, I would say move it to the side, possibly put it in the loft or a cupboard <laughs> and replace it with, with the, big, the big podcast one. Absolutely. Well, look, when, when we inevitably win a British podcast award, an ARIA or a Nobel Prize. <laughs> Pride of Britain Award, maybe. Pride of Britain Award, yeah. Get Carol Vorderman involved. Yeah. Always. We will burn your player of the season 2008 netball trophy, but only then. And then we'll see how you feel about it. <laughs> the last word just for now on Oscar, because we do gas him up a lot, but he deserves it. I, I felt so personally excited for him. We've had the access to his brain from basically day one before Bahrain and I feel so invested in him as a person and as a driver and I and I love having that affinity with someone and I just felt so excited for him what a brilliant course he's on in terms of his career really really exciting I was listening to a different podcast which will remain nameless which was really harsh on him basically saying well he's not particularly excited he doesn't have much personality what he was born in 2001. He's only young. This is his rookie season. What do you want just, from the lad? I've always had a bit of a problem with people being so dismissive of sports people and their personalities. And like, what do you expect from these people? Mm. They have dedicated their lives to being brilliant at their chosen discipline. Yeah. You know, what do you want them to go to f clown school as well? <laughs> I'm one of the fastest drivers in the world, but is that not enough for you? Do you want me to get on the high wire and juggle fire? <laughs> I had this same problem with Andy Murray when he was at his real peak. He's one of my favourite ever sports people. I think he's an incredible man. Mm. What he's done in the sport and what he's come through with his injury and stuff, but still people are like, oh, he's a bit boring and a bit dry and Scottish and he's a bit dour. Yeah. You've got to let these people just find their way through the world. And I think... He's doing such an amazing job at the sport. Just let him, let him be a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. You don't want 20 Daniel Ricciardo. No. That would be unbearable. <laughs> like you need all these different characters and people slot in and they, they find their own roles and stuff. And people will relate to him for the fact that he's not a, a loud mouth at the moment. And that's the beauty of, of different personalities. Great point. Well made. But it'll be so interesting, won't it, to see sort of what he can do with McLaren next season and, and sort of in the years to come as well because it really feels like McLaren is starting to build something they're, they're sort of making a challenge for like Christian said earlier becoming the second fastest car for the rest of the season next season will also be interesting we had this message from Chris on email um, about it all saying hello 
Not a question, just a thought to discuss. Mm. I love the way Lando said, we're coming for Red Bull on his radio at the end of the race. It felt really exciting for them as a team and great to hear as a neutral fan that there's a potential battle coming from Lando and Oscar next year if Sergio Perez doesn't pick up his form. What do you think about that? There's a lot to unpack in that. Um, Let's do the McLaren bit first. Bear in mind the cars next year of an evolution. It's the same rule set. Very few teams will completely rip up the car and start again. Some will, by the way, but mostly will evolve. It will be very interesting to see when they've got a new season of budget cap, when the, the limitations of in-season stuff is, is lifted and you can do more in the winter, how much closer they can get to Red Bull. Mm. They will hope Red Bull don't take another massive step forward themselves. But, but it's a definite possibility. And then uh, Chris obviously went on to talk about Lando and Oscar. Teams having both drivers is a really interesting point. Now, the worry for Red Bull will be, and we'll talk about their achievements in a moment in terms of winning the title, but in next year, if McLaren, Mercedes, Ferrari, Aston Martin, and there's a big chasing pack there, by the way, if they are all closer, is Sergio Perez showing form to suggest he can pick up points consistently in a constructor's title battle. No, he isn't. Mm. Lewis Hamilton and George Russell, Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc, and Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri are all better duo driver lineups than Verstappen and Perez. You know, Perez should have been second in that race this weekend. Instead, he had the clumsiest crash in the world and retired twice somehow. (laughs) So uh, Chris's point is a great one. That is McLaren's driver lineup is super strong and that will help them going forward. Well, that's some really good McLaren news. And what I love is it feels like it's getting a bit spicier the season now. We know where things are maybe going. There's some surprises around the corner. Obviously, we'll get onto Red Bull in a bit. They've won the constructors. Looks like he's going to win the championship. But for the rest of the field, it feels like People are getting excited who maybe weren't excited a few months ago. Mm. They're like, oh, Max Verstappen didn't win. Oh, that was a good race at Singapore. Oh, so there's a little bit of that happening, which is nice when sport bursts out of its own bubble. Betty, what else is happening on today's episode of The Fast and the Curious? So we're going to talk about all the other action on and off the track from the Japanese Grand Prix. Beth, who we spoke to last week on the last episode, or, well, not the last episode, the one before that, is back. Sounded like she had a brilliant weekend lined up. So she's going to give us her review. She was out there on her own, so that'll be very interesting. Former world champion Sebastian Vettel took a load of beehives to the circuit. So we're obviously going to talk about that. (laughs) And as always, a load of listener questions for Christian and sort of the rest of us to go through from the race. But it sort of feels like Christian's probably the only one that is going to be able to really tell us what the hell Sergio Perez was up to. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get your hopes up. (laughs) I really also want to talk, not at great length, but at some length, medium length, or maybe soft length, which might give you an indicator of what I'm about to talk about, about tyres, okay? And my frustration with how important tyres are and how boring they also are. (laughs) I was watching the (laughs) the first bit of that incredible race from Suzuka and for about 35 minutes, the only chat on commentary was about tyres. Part of me worries that... As Formula One fans, we've been sold a dummy (laughs) that actually the most important thing about Formula One racing are the tyres. And it's incredibly boring. (laughs) It's like when cricket talks about the ball too much. 
I'm like, that's so... And I love cricket. I know all about the ball and the significance of it. But I don't want to just keep hearing about it. It's so boring. It's like in football when um, people start going on about stats and XG. No one knows what XG means. Nobody cares. Can we move on? It's it's like that. It feels like you've started this now, Greg. Do you want to rant now? It feels like, you, it feels like you're halfway there. Well, I don't know if there's any more to say about it. That, that's, that's just it. I, I understand it's really important. And, and I was having a little chat with Christian on text about it over the weekend. But I just hate that something so dull means so much and actually matters so much because it is, it's a huge thing, like not driving as fast as you actually want to because you've got to protect the tyres. Oh, we've got to change the tyres. Oh, he, he can't win the race now because he didn't you know, stop in the tyres. Like, <laughs> I mean, fundamentally, Greg, you're right. So in, in the 2010s, there was a couple of F1 races where the tyres, what they say, fell off the cliff, i.e. they got, really ungrippy super fast they were in their optimum operating window then they just crashed and burned and it was the drivers got skiddy and it was all very exciting and this was in a part of formula one where it maybe wasn't as exciting as it is now so f1 bosses said to pirelli the tire manufacturers let's have them like that and pirelli have done that and that's why we have the hards the mediums and the softs now, the argument, Greg, and you will fall into this category, there are some fans who think, actually, I'd rather see the drivers be able to go 100% more and tyres be less important. Mm. The problem is some sprint races, which haven't been classics, have shown us that when tyres aren't a big issue and everyone is going 100%, they're so bloody good, everyone is so consistent that not a lot happens. That's the flip side. Mm. So it's finding that balance between tyres being too important like Greg you sometimes feel they are and that is a very common view that's not just you Greg and being not important enough because they do create some drama and they create strategy <laughs> and I love that element of Formula One yeah I mean I'm being deliberately uh, provocative but uh, there was a moment where I just thought oh shut up just t- let's talk about how great these drivers are and you're just talking about tires <laughs> is there uh, an environmental reason why they're they, they they're weird with tires is that that part of it well they're, they're trying to save tires in order to use fewer less mm. of them than they have done before and we've spoken about that on previous podcasts so they couldn't say for example use as many as you like because then people will say, well, hang on, that's not great for the planet. Not that Formula One tyres are the biggest factor in the world's environment problems, but... Well, I was going to say, like, I think sort of flying a thousand people, 20 priceless cars and <laughs> motorhomes the size of an out-of-town pets at home around the world <laughs> all year, every year is maybe a bigger problem. I'm sure F1 are listening to fans like yourself, Greg, who think they're a bit too <laughs> no, important. No, they're not. No, they are. They're not. They're no, 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 they are. It is a big conversation in F1. They genuinely are. People do think okay. tyres are too important. So, all right, maybe they're not listening to... I don't think Stefano Domenicali, the boss of F1, is like, Greg James said on this fabulous podcast, The Fast and the Curious. If Stefano is listening, then I would also quite like to see a next to all the motorhomes in the paddock, a Pets at Home. <laughs> Okay, sure. That would be fantastic. And maybe um, maybe, a, maybe a Halfords. It'd be good for Roscoe, wouldn't it? You'd have Roscoe there, but like, I'm not sure you'd have much else in that Pets at Home, would you? It'd be pretty empty. Producer Jim is just... <laughs> Producer Jim is just said he'd have all of Alex Albon's pets, which is a great shout. Well, anyway, look, that's... Uh, I've already actually spent too much time saying I didn't want to talk about tyres, talking about tyres, but that's... Oh, my God, the irony. 
let's move on to something else. And probably we should talk about Red Bull winning the Constructors Championship in Japan. Now, Christian, that seems to be a place where you can win it in Japan. Uh, lots of titles over the years in Formula One have been won in Japan. And this is another example of them because normally it's towards the end of the season. Next year, we go to Japan much earlier in the season. It's lumped next to China as Formula One tries to, as we were just talking about, save the planet a bit. So expect that to be the last you know, title to be won in Japan for a long time. Mm -hmm. But um, it shows you that it's not the first thing we've spoken about on the podcast, one of the two titles being won, just how unsurprising it is. But it's worth just reminding ourselves that Red Bull have made one of the great Formula One cars in history this season. So for everyone in Milton Keynes, I've been to that factory numerous times. They are so passionate, committed, dedicated. They're a really great team of people at Red Bull. So, uh, you know, I love going there. Huge congratulations to all of them. And the way, what what is historic is not just how much of an advantage it's been, but if you've got a driver in Max Verstappen, who is a, one of the all-time greats of Formula One history, there's pressure on you as a team to make a car that works for him. And the way the car and the driver sync together and have that perfect match is fantastic. Because, you know, Mercedes have got Lewis Hamilton, who's sensational, but he spends too much time this year battling against the car. So the way the car and the driver is in sync is sensational. So huge congratulations to Red Bull phenomenal can't praise them enough for this year they are you know we everyone on this podcast all of us are sports fans we appreciate sporting greats and that's what they've done this year it's brilliant why is Verstappen so far ahead of Perez why why can Perez not drive this car in the same way I don't understand Max has quite a unique driving style in that he likes the car the best way I can describe it is quite pointy and obviously, you know, to an extent, Red Bull will design the car to its lead driver. But that isn't the whole story. And it wouldn't be fair to say that Red Bull have totally designed this car for Max and thought sod Checo, because that's not fair. The fact of the matter is, this season, Max has been a cut above. And Max has just done a better job than Sergio. And, and, and the problem is for Sergio is he started fantastically because he was second in Bahrain and looked really close to... Max's pace in Saudi Arabia he won the race and Max was second it's it's gone uh, and Sergio hasn't been anywhere near consistent enough is he panicking a bit we can talk a bit more about his drive at the weekend but there was one of my favorite moments of the race is where he went on the radio and said the car doesn't feel right like yeah you've crashed it twice in 13 laps hon <laughs> 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 might be why it's not feeling quite right. You've driven it into all the other cars, dear. <laughs> driven it into most things. I don't like being too critical of these drivers because we said it on the Crofty episode. I've said it all season. They're superhuman. And Sergio is in the top class of F1 drivers. He's a great driver. He's a world-class talent. But the two overtaking manoeuvres in Singapore and Japan, in Singapore on Alex Albon and on the Haas in Japan... Uh, and I, I say I don't like being harsh on the drivers. People are too quick to criticise Formula One drivers. But both of them were nowhere near good enough. Sergio has been confirmed for Red Bull next year, but they are not daft. Christian Horner, the Red Bull team principal, Helmut Marco, who is the sort of advisor who picks the drivers, they are ruthless men. They have shown that in their driver decisions over the years. They will know 
that actually there is big question marks as to whether in a close constructors championship battle, Sergio would be doing a good enough job. The most shocking thing from this weekend happened at the end of the race when we heard that Max Verstappen, quote, doesn't like podcasts. <laughs> and I think this needs real interrogation. Mm. He was in the cool down room with the other two guys on the podium. The joke is that that room has now become known as the unofficial Max Verstappen podcast because they all sit on sort of high stools <laughs> and they're just sitting chatting inanely like what happens on most podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he says he doesn't like them. But um, Betty, you have interviewed him on this podcast. Did you get the sense that he didn't like podcasts? Um, he was he was quick to sort of wrap it up after the 10 minutes and go. But I just assume that's because he's a busy man, you know, he's got stuff to be doing. But I thought he enjoyed himself. Like he seemed to, you know, have quite a, a good time with us. Don't you think, Christian? The lovely Gemma at Red Bull, who is the person you see next to Max when Max does his interviews. Gemma's delightful. She said he had a really nice time. No. I think Max was going that he doesn't like listening to rather than featuring on. Because, as I say, my sources suggest that he loved his time on this podcast mm. um, and, and is very, very keen to come back on, apparently. Well, is he? Because I would, I would, I'd like to take them up on that offer. I'd like to get Max back on. Yeah. You know, we've said that this podcast isn't the place for the sort of hard, holding to account, sports journalism interviews. But we might have to do a bit of that there, like he held to account me on my Mercedes jacket. We might have to, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. He needs to explain himself, doesn't he? He needs to explain himself. Let's go to the actual circuit, shall we, while we're, we're talking about the, the end of the race. And Betty, who have we heard from? Which Fast and the Curious listener was there? Yeah, so Beth, who was on one of our last episodes, was out there. She was out there on her own, which was brilliant. And she said that she had a brilliant time. Unfortunately, the timings of her flight back from Japan mean that she couldn't actually join us on for a chat, which would have been lovely. But she sent us this race report just before getting on the plane. Sorry, I can't be on the podcast today, but I just want to send a message to tell you what an amazing time I had at the Grand Prix this weekend. I met loads of wonderful people, mostly McLaren fans who were obviously in fine form with the double podium. Um, when you're wearing the merchandise, lots of people will come over to you and talk about it. So it's a real good conversation starter. Um, I actually managed to get a grandstand ticket for the last few laps and um, watch the podium celebrations and also get down onto the track. Before you ask, no, I didn't kiss it. Um, it was way too busy. There were lots lots of people milling around, so there wasn't an opportunity. I'm travelling back to the UK soon, but I would highly recommend going to the Japanese Grand Prix in the future if you can. The fans are amazing. There were some incredible costumes and just generally the atmosphere was incredible. Bye. I am jealous because... Greg, we had this conversation at the weekend. Tokyo's, uh, and, and you know, going to Tokyo, going to Japan and going to the Japanese Grand Prix is big on our hit list, isn't it? It's one of the ones that we're like, oh, really want to go. So I'm very jealous of Beth, although a bit cross with her she didn't kiss it, Anne. A bit cross. Well, you can't, you can't have it all. No. I would love to go back to Japan. I, I went to Tokyo and to uh, Kyoto, actually, a few years ago, and I'm desperate to go back and see a different part because it's, I mean, it's it's a completely different part of the country to... Tokyo it's 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 much further south and it's, it's sort of in a in a coastal sort of inlet look it looks it looks stunning I would love to go let's let's do a trip fast and curious trip oh yeah my my diary's free yeah I mean w without question <laughs> I mean so so of, of all the f1 races Suzuka's I think my number two on the bucket list number one being Albert Park Melbourne mm. 
but Tokyo is my big like uh, it's quite far I really want to go to Tokyo that uh, and just Japan as a country it fascinates me well also I mean bo- boringly for some people but for me not that boring it's the home of Hondaland yes and, it, and it's also near the city of Toyota so mm. cars ahoy oh you'll have a love God it's peak Greg James territory isn't it? <laughs> all it needs now is a local cricket team and Greg's just going to move there <laughs> Greg would be in his element oh my god you two would be geeking out walking around there I think I'll just have to leave you what else do we need to discuss today got any more questions or anything oh no the bees should we talk about bees bees we've got to talk about the bees go on then Bessie What's what's going on with the bees well I mean I'll be honest not totally sure but it was all over social media this weekend so basically former world champion Sebastian Vettel took a load of beehives to the circuit all the drivers went down (laughs) the teams had a hive each and then they sort of decorated them it was like they were on a school trip like they all should have had their backpacks on sort of like walking around in twos or something it was quite weird to watch and I don't understand why this was really happening to be honest with you Vettel being quite quirky is a quirky kind of character isn't he Christian well, he's very quirky but he does care about uh, you know we praised him for speaking up about LGBT issues before he he speaks up about the planet and the environment a lot, and he said when he retired, LGBT. Oh, good God! <laughs> Issues as well. No, you could tell how pleased with himself Greg was to make that joke. Honestly, look at his face; he was buzzing. <laughs> you. <laughs> Can you two just be quiet and move on, please? Hey. hey. <laughs> Chill out, honey. Oh, God. <laughs> just like to apologise for appropriating the LGBTQ uh, moniker and also for calling a woman honey. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be on the front of the Daily Mail. <laughs> Greg, on behalf of the gays, I forgive you and Betty forgives you on behalf of women. Good. Thank you. Um, so, yes, Sebastian Vettel likes to promote the good things in the world and he is big on... Uh, the environment and looking after the planet. So it was one of a number of Seb's missions to do that. And he said when he retired, that's one of the big things he wants to do is spread positive messages like that, as I say, about keeping um, the environment in a better place and what motorsport can do. So nice to see him back in the paddock. Really sweet to see him back in the paddock. Sweet. Like honey. Because honey, you see. I really like that. I I like when you see the human side of a Formula 1 driver. I like that they also do love nonsense. It's like when we saw Lando Norris's tiny little... Um, Fiat that he drives around Monaco in. I just I like that they can also be like high octane madmen driving as fast as possible. But also to be quite gentle and, mm. and silly. I like that. Did you see as well during the race? He was on turn two waving these little flags like "Woo, come on, everyone!" <laughs> did you see the photo? It's quite cute, wasn't it? <laughs> it was so cute. Do you think he could ever come back into a into a seat, Christian? It could definitely happen. Um, Oh, really? When he retired... If he wants to. Surely he's too busy with his bees and everything. <laughs> Do you want to come and drive for Red Bull or are you too busy doing your bees? <laughs> the bees won't look after themselves, Christian. Um, <laughs> when he retired, he seemed to be like, no, absolutely not. And then he did an interview with Martin Brundle on Sky right at the start of the weekend. 
and and Martin was very clever because Martin knows Seb likes his history. And he basically did a big list of these historic F1 drivers who've retired and came back. Alonso, Raikkonen, Mansell, Schumacher. You know, the list goes on that have retired and came back. And sort of Martin went, you'll be back then, won't you, really cleverly. And, and Seb sort of went, well, you know, you can't say no. So it's already gone from no to can't say no. I think it's if the right opportunity crops up, like it did for Fernando, in term, you know, in terms of, all of a sudden Alpine having a seat because Daniel Ricciardo left. If the right circumstance popped up, don't rule it out. Because he's, he's young enough. He's, he's you know, Lewis and Fernando are older than him. So he's, he's young enough. Um, it's quite possible. It's quite possible. Exciting. Very exciting. So shall we get on to some listener questions then? As always, Fast and Curious at ACAST.com and at Fast Curious Pod on Instagram and TikTok if you want to get in touch. Um, so many people messaged us about Perez. Ellie, Izzy, Sammy, Kirsten, Nicole. I could go on. They all said... What the hell is going on here with Sergio Perez? <laughs> it was an absolute roller coaster for him. It was so eventful, Christian. I mean, for anyone that missed it, he retired from the race. He went back into the garage, but then before the end, he came back out. Is that even allowed? It, it is allowed. And it has happened before that drivers stay in the pits for several laps and they fix whatever's wrong with it. And then they say, okay, well, we've been in the pits for three or four laps without the race, but we'll send them back out just in case eight cars get wiped out in a crash because then even though we're four laps down, we might pick up a point. Or they get so little testing just to get data and treat it like a free practice session. So it does happen. But the reason in particular they chose to send Sergio back out is to cover off something that almost certainly wouldn't ha wouldn't have happened. We mentioned earlier Sergio's form isn't great and he got a five-second penalty for catapulting into the side of a Haas, which is the very <laughs> least he deserved. But then he retired before he could have taken that five-second penalty. Now, if a driver causes a massive crash and takes themselves out the race instantly... What we have seen before is the FIA, the sports governing body, say, OK, you do need to be punished for that. So we'll give you a five place grid penalty for the next race. So it, whenever things like this happen, it is somebody's job in a Formula One team to go, have we covered all bases here? And some clever person at Red Bull would have gone, hang on a minute. He didn't serve that five second penalty. Obviously, that was Sergio's fault. Let's make sure he's not you know, disadvantages in the next race. Let's send him back out, serve the five, once we fix the car damage, which has taken 20 minutes to fix. Let's send him back out to make sure he doesn't get the penalty. He almost certainly wouldn't have got the penalty, but because the rules are a little bit ambiguous there, they thought they'd cover all bases. Lisa has a question about something curious that was happening. There was a lot of chat, not only about tyres on the commentary, but undercutting was a big part of the race in Japan. And Lisa says, I know it's got something to do with getting places through pit stops, but I'm not exactly sure what it is and how teams benefit from it. It's a really great question, and it's massively important on tracks where tyres are massively important. <sighs> I, if I'm running in second in the race and Betty's in the lead, I'm in Betty's dirty air. That is slowing me down. And I might be a bit quicker than Betty. In your dreams. In my dreams. But not quite quick enough to overtake Betty on the circuit. And also, because I'm behind Betty, that's wearing out my tyres faster. But I know I've got pace. So my team say to me, Christian, if you pit in now, you'll fall back into 12th. 
but the person in 13th is 10 seconds behind and the person in 11th is 10 seconds in front. So you've got lovely clear air. I go, right, I'm going to pit. So I pit, I put shiny new tyres on, I come back out, I unleash my full potential. I'm not in the dirty air anymore. I've got shiny quick tyres on. I do a lap or two at my absolute top speed I can. And therefore, because I'm going at my true potential, I'm going quicker than Betty. So when Betty therefore pits in, I've gone quicker and I come out ahead of Betty. It's the undercut. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, really, really clear. Very, very good. Really well explained. Thank you. I try. Simon says... Put your hands on your head. (laughs) (laughs) I did think that um, as I said it, but I was like, hmm. Simon says, everyone sit down. Well, he does actually, yeah. Are there any seats left in the 2024 season? Simon says, who does get to sit down, technically, (laughs) in the seat? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Simon's saying, who is sitting down in 2024? (laughs) I've lost track of who is confirmed. Christian, this is probably a good time to sort of mention Liam Lawson again as well. Highly unusually, the driver lineup next year will stay pretty much the same. Um, Red Bull think Daniel Ricciardo showed enough pace when he came back for his two races. So it's Daniel Ricciardo and Yuki Tsunoda in the seat at Alpha Tauri. That was the penultimate seat to be taken. Everyone else stays the same. And what it means is Liam Lawson is back on the bench. Mm. He is a very handy option for Red Bull to have. And my prediction would be that we will see Liam Lawson race in Formula One next season in some way, shape or form even if he doesn't start the season. So as we speak now, the only seat available and not confirmed for next year is the Williams number two seat. Now, Logan Sargent is a really interesting one. Big friend of the podcast. We are huge fans of his as a human. Mm. But on the track this season, we know that it's been up and down. The thing with Logan is, at some point, almost every weekend, he shows flashes of real speed, whether it's in practice, whether it's in qualifying, and you're like, wow, that's impressive. He's up there with Alex. But he's not been able to yet carry that through into a whole weekend performance because we know, as Alex has proved, that car is quick enough to be in the points. So what we're seeing is a racing driver who's young. He's got very little experience in the junior series, less than other drivers who've come in, and certainly less than Oscar. And Williams' big question is, do we give this young, clearly quick driver another season to get used to it? And, and people, because Logan is unfortunately making mistakes at the moment and he's had more crashes than he should, people are thinking it's a slam dunk that Logan won't be there next season. It isn't. If he went and had a couple of good races and really put it together, I think they'd give him that seat for next season. In terms of who are the other options, I don't think Liam Lawson will get it, and I think Red Bull will regardless put Liam in one of the two teams in 2025. Mick Schumacher keeps being referenced. I don't think Williams are interested in Mick Schumacher. I don't think they think he's ultimately quick enough. And the other one who's being linked is the Formula 2 leader, Theo Pocher. And again, that brings with it another risk of putting in another rookie. So it's far from certain who will be in that seat and I think Logan's still got a chance I really want him to be in that seat because I think there's potential there and he's such a nice guy and we love him on this podcast yeah I think he should be given a bit more of a chance I mean as you said he has shown that he can drive really fast and and deliver to a certain extent question for you putting you on the spot a little bit here Christian how many brilliant drivers who went on to achieve amazing things in the sport started off in having a bit of a rocky patch 
Who didn't start like Oscar Piastri and then went on to become, I don't know, Alonso? How did he start? Alonso is a really interesting one because people like George Russell and Fernando Alonso had an advantage in starting in a car that was very, very slow. So the pressure was off them. Whereas Logan's come in with a really impressive teammate and Alex Albon and in a car that's rapidly improving. So the pressure's on straight away. Mm. In terms of a driver that had a bit of a rocky start, Nico Rosberg, who went on to break Lewis Hamilton's winning record and, and be a Formula One world champion, didn't exactly set the world alight when he came into Formula One. And Nico went on to be a world champion. The thing is with Logan, the speed's there, and that's the most difficult bit for a racing driver. He's shown enough in several qualifying and practice sessions to go, actually, his pace is really good, and some races too. Mm. It's far from beyond the realms of possibility that Logan picks it up. Because also, on the grid now, to further answer your question, Greg, Zhou Guan Yu had a, a fast start in scoring points early doors, then slowed Yuki Tsunoda did the same. Yuki and Joe both really didn't set the world alight and then kept their drives through getting patience. And I think Logan's similar. And, you know, Joe and Yuki are on the grid next season. So it's it's possible. Uh, it's definitely possible for Logan to turn it round. He, he's got to do it sooner rather than later. But if I think I think Williams want to give him the seat. Mm. I think if, say, he went and got points in Qatar or scored even, say, two points finishes between now and the end of the season... I think that he's shown those flashes of speed for for James Fowles, the Williams team principal, to think, go on, with a, another winter behind him, with another load of pre-season testing, we'll be able to take advantage of that raw speed that we've shown. So in answer to your question, maybe there's elements there of Joe, Sonoda, but then the big example being Nico Rosberg started slow and then won a world championship. We believe in you, Logan. We believe in you. We do. That feels like a nice place, a nice positive place to end today's episode we will be back. When's the next Grand Prix? A couple of weeks, is it? A couple of weeks in Qatar, which is a really interesting circuit. Uh, F1's not been there too many times before. It started coming there in the COVID times because it needed circuits to race at. And then it had a break because Qatar was hosting the World Cup and now it's back. So it should be a really interesting Grand Prix. It's a, it's a fast circuit. We'll be back next week to preview that. Any questions? Fast and curious at acast.com. Fast Curious Pod on Instagram, TikTok, and now Twitter or X, who, which no one's calling it. <laughs> and um, we'll be back very soon. Thank you, Betty. Bye. Thank you, Christian. Thank you. And thank you to me. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Greg.